things that bump in the night. Things that creep us out. Voices from another realm. The figures that move out of the corner of your eye. That odd light in the sky. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It Came From Amity. I'm over here in the studio with Noah. and uh, Hello. It's really good to be back. I really like being in the studio and talking about all these spooky, creepy... And Happenings. Sometimes funny, sometimes terrible. Yeah. Type of things that we cover. And um, today we decided that we were going to bring you... How about that Natalie Wood case last week? That was so funny, dude. Yeah, that was <laughs> hilarious. I I bet uh, Mr. Wagner thought so, too. Oh, yeah. You think he listened to our episode? No. no. That'd be funny if he did, though. Oh, yeah, I would love to get that email. Like, yeah. I was not pleased with the way he right. portrayed me. Oh, I'm sorry. He's like, you want to go boating with me? Nope. No, nope. we're good. Nope, we're good. Uh, yeah, I, I, I listened to last week's episode. I really... Uh, enjoyed it. I, I thought, hope you did. I did. I usually do the QC for. It's better usually. than saying like I went back and listened. It was terrible. It was terrible. Don't listen to it. Yeah, I. I mean, I. I mean, maybe I'm coming off as biased, but I thought it was. I thought it was we a good did episode. Right. Yeah. It was a fun, interesting episode. It was. Um, if you guys follow us on Facebook, I really I put a, posted a video doing some of our housekeeping that I normally do through the week, but um. Just to touch base, if you guys didn't get to see it, uh, please remember to uh, share us with your friends and family and coworkers uh, and anybody else who likes this type of stuff. Uh, also, make sure you guys uh, check out Teespring Store if you guys like shirts, hoodies, leggings, tote masks. bags, masks. Um, we have that stuff up there, reasonably priced, I think. Um, I'm going to be ordering a hoodie probably the next couple weeks myself. Um, but, uh, but check that out. And, um, I want to plug a Netflix documentary too. Yeah. That I was watching. It's on Netflix. It's called tell me who I am. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's about these two twin brothers. One of them got in a horrible motorcycle accident and the other one, he lost all of his memory. Right. So the other one filled in his memory of who he was, but he left out the dark things. There's some dark stuff in their family past. So he's living with the knowledge of it, and his brother is living not knowing about it, but knowing who he is. It's really That's crazy. cool. And then it comes out like, oh, this is really what happened. He starts to uncover his past of what oh. really happened. Yeah, and it's some dark stuff, too. So you would think that would almost make you more, I guess, like, that would make make you look at your brother with a lot of just, like, why would you hide that? Like, but I, at the I, same time, it was done out of love because it's like I don't want him to have to live with this. I'll live with it. He's got a fresh start. I mean, you know? but I, I don't know. Like, 
I guess it's still that hiding part. Like, I mean, you understand yeah. the reason why, but it's like, you know, you could trust me with that. You know, right. you don't have to you carry that burden on on your own. You've got information that is so damaging, you don't want anybody else to experience it. Right. And it, it's kind of a cool story, though. I really would recommend it. That's pretty cool. It's I very interesting. I would check that out. Um, so, yeah, Teespring. Also, uh, we're going to be in the studio pretty hardcore the next week and a half trying to get some episodes recorded for the holidays. Knock on wood. So, uh, the episodes themselves might be a little shorter because trying to do research for three episodes in a week and a half, that's going to be, especially since I'm still working all next week, uh, my full-time job, they might be a little shorter. They may not be. It just depends how much time I can devote to each individual episode um, and trying to spread that love out between the three because they are going to be different topics and different genres of the paranormal and the, you know true crime true crime and stuff like that so uh, we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants basically yeah so I'm going to try to do three separate episodes three different genres and have them ready to go in a week and a half so if they're a little shorter um, that would be why um, just to let you guys know um, but I don't think the quality is going to hurt. I just think the length might. So, right. But with that said, we're going to get right into the episode. Um, and today we've, we've talked about this type of stuff before, but never like this where it's a little more in depth than about it by itself. And that's demonic possession. We've talked about it briefly when we did like the paranormal movie connections. We episode, we did, I think back three weeks ago and we talked about uh, like the movie Exorcist and stuff like that where, you know. We've uh, talked about the Hollywood version of demonic yeah. possession basically. Yeah, and, and we've we've done, you know, the Hollywood stuff, um, you know, talking about, uh, you know, the, the spooky in Hollywood and, that, of course, everyone thinks Exorcist. And, and, and I, Lorraine yeah. are always involved. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and we, we talked about that, you know, uh, like the conjuring and stuff like that, right. where, where there was some demonic possession. And I think a lot of people get their base knowledge of demonic possession from Hollywood. Um, I think a lot of people have seen the movie The Right with, um, oh, I can't believe I just Sir did that. Anthony Hopkins. Yes, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. That was a really well done movie. Um, but... I think, you know, of course, Exorcist being the 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 archetype for that type yeah. of movie and, and what people think ex, uh, exorcism and demonic possession is, I think a lot of people get that from Hollywood. Exorcism was a pretty realistic interpretation, though, mm-hmm. as far as the facts. Like, it wasn't too glorified and glamorous. Right. It was pretty spot on. Yeah, there was, um, well, I mean, the Vatican, for example, they actually put on a big thing um, ever so often where they have uh, priests come in and they actually do an entire course on how to do an exorcism. Yeah. Um, Plus, when you get an exorcism through the Catholic Church, it has to go through rungs and councils and stuff for them to send somebody out. You can't just have some, just anybody come and do it. Right. Uh, yeah, because the Catholic Church, they, um, you know, because they, they do understand that there is, uh, there are people out there with really severe 
uh, yeah, you know, mental health issues that might mimic possession. And so the Catholic Church, they won't put someone through that without first making sure yeah. that it's not a mental health issue. They'll actually go, okay, well, you need to go see your doctor. You need to do this. You need to take them and get evaluated medically. It's a very intensive process, and they want to guarantee it's done right. And and the Vatican actually has to prove the exorcism. Yeah. So, I mean, not saying that the Pope himself is has to approve it uh, on his own word, but the Vatican as the you know, the governing body of, yeah. you know, the, the Catholicism. They have a parliament-like system. Yeah. And they have to approve it before it's taken through and you actually have the exorcism done. And, of course, the Catholic Church isn't the only religious body in, in, Christendom, in Christendom that does it, and Protestants do it, too. Yeah. They're uh, the most well-known, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're the ones that— And the most powerful. Yeah. You know, they got you know their own freaking country unto yeah. themselves, really. But— um, but Protestants do it too. Um, Muslims do it. Uh, there's, uh, you know, it's even done in Judaism. So, um, and exorcisms are actually mentioned um, in the Bible. I mean, yeah. you know, Jesus, you know, exercised many evil spirits and demons. He even did some from pigs at one point. Uh, he and they ran into the ocean and killed themselves. Yeah, he. Yeah, he uh, put evil spirits into the bodies of pigs and yeah they, they he get... took them out of a villager uh-huh it was one of those cases where he said what is your name and then it said we are legion what was it? we are legion mm-hmm. took it out of the villager put it in the pigs and then the pigs ran off and killed themselves yeah because the evil spirits they didn't want to go back to hell yeah and so that was the trade-off was like okay well and and that's and that was basically how jesus got around is he was, well, i'll put you in the bodies of pigs so that way you don't have to go back Pigs. And then they go into the into the sea and they and they drown and I guess that's how the evil spirits, which I don't know how that worked, but wouldn't they go straight back to hell once the body's dead? I would suspect, but I mean, I guess not. I mean, they, I, I guess they roam free. Then I guess Jesus knew what he was doing. I'd like to hope. I mean, yeah. I mean, surely he knew the, the loophole. I suppose. I could see though he does that, and then the pigs kill themselves, and he's just like. Oh, I didn't see that coming. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, there's a there's a there's a lot of references uh, biblically about exorcisms, um, and like I said, and that's almost any religion has their own idea of exorcism and demonic possession. So it's actually interesting because I ended up finding an article, and we'll reference in a little bit too, um, that a person who is a psychologist. Uh, wrote and talking about his experiences with demonic possession. And we'll reference it later, but um, so what we'll I'm do... I'm guessing that psychologists and psychiatrists don't really take it too seriously. Well, this one did. Really? He saw some really... Because like he saw some really interesting things that I think helped reshape what he thought of demonic possession. Okay. Um. So this is how it's defined as demonic possession. It involves the belief that a spirit, demon, or entity controls a person's actions. Those who believe themselves so possessed commonly claim that symptoms of demonic possession include missing memories, perceptual distortions, loss of a sense of control, and hypersensibility. Um, Almost like you've been abducted. Yes. You you lose your sense of time and everything. And... There was a study that was done 
where they said that there was in 488 different societies worldwide, 74% of those believe in spiritual possession. Okay. So that's a pretty big number. And here's what something else that I found, and I can't quote it, but I do remember reading it uh, about, I, I don't know, it probably about six or seven months ago, that you have a lot of people that don't believe in, say, religion, and they don't necessarily believe in, uh, say, a heaven or a hell, but they believe in demonic possession, which is weird because if you believe in these dark entities that can possess and make you know, and do horrible, unspeakable things to uh, an individual, then there's got to be a light side, I would uh, Yeah, too. and they have to come from somewhere. Right. They it, have to go somewhere. Right. So, it, but it's... But you got a lot of people that believe in that darkness, but they have trouble believing in the light side of whatever yeah. belief system that they are even loosely subscribing to. There has, every, what is it? Every action has a reaction. Like there has to be a yin and a yang to everything. Right. I mean, heck, that's even what the ma- like the most massive premise in Star Wars is: is yeah. light and the dark and the struggle that. If you have exists. dark, you have to have light. Right. Um, so with the highest number, uh, as we said, with those 488 societies, most of those are within the Pacific cultures and the lowest uh, being in the Native Americans of both North and South America, which is actually weird because uh, Native Americans are very, very spiritual and believe in very dark entities yeah. as well. well. Same with like Haiti and Puerto Rico and mm-hmm. Jamaica. They're very... Um, Voodoo-esque, like, possession. Oh, yeah. Witchcraft, you know. Right. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, and and you can look, and it might be what some would say culturally bad now, but there's several old movies about voodoo rituals and yeah. possession and stuff like that. But those types of movies probably wouldn't be made today. But Probably they're, not. But they're fun to watch. Um, so one of the... And we kind of referenced this at the beginning, is that, um, so there's the Abrahamic religion, so you have Judaism, Christianity, and uh, Islam. Yeah. Okay, so the big three in the Abrahamic religions, and that in the Old Testament, well, we would say the Old Testament, Jews don't call it the Old Testament, they call it the Torah, um, that in the Jewish religion, demons exist, but they are seen as agents of God. So while there's good and evil and there's a heaven and hell, they see demons as not necessarily being agents of, say, Satan or the devil. They see them as agents of God and that they're almost acting out as God's wrath in a way. So um, there's actually very few mentions of demons in the Torah where they harass um, regular people. They were they harass humans, and there's actually a reference to it in the first book of Samuel. And we're going to quote it. It says, "Saul's attendants said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you.' See, just short reference, but just right there it says that evil <laughs> spirit from God. So, but and as a Christian, we're 
we're showed differently. Even Jesus talks about that, you know, evil spirits aren't necessarily of God. So very bizarre. And I'm not saying that the Bible's contradicting itself. I mean, he did kind of create them. So technically. Right. I mean, and, and I think as Christians, we kind of understand that there's a separation between good and evil and that we, we tend to think demons as fallen angels. Um, from the rebellion of God when they separated, especially when Lucifer decided he wasn't going to abide by the fact that we were his special creation, even above the angels. So, But I'm uh, sure that like God and Satan have table meetings every once in a while where they're like, okay, let's go over this. And, it, and, that, this. and that's very possible, I suppose. I mean... I believe they're civil with each other. You know, it's like Hercules... Remember uh, Zeus and Hades? Oh, yeah. Where they had to rule the world together. They didn't necessarily like each other, but it's like, listen, we got to do this. You got to right. do that. Maybe it's like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's very bizarre. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I guess, you know, us mere mortals have a tendency to not really understand, and I, I don't think we're meant to. But it's like having two managers at a store and they don't like each other. Right. They still have to run the store. <laughs> there's a, that's like how it is right and you have the little camps you know yeah the wait staff likes you know right. what they you know their boss and then the kitchen staff likes their boss and yep they don't ever see eye to eye but every once in a while they'll do something stupid you know they'll pull a prank on each other on the other side and then the other manager has to be like don't do that yeah that's what it's like i don't know i'm just spitballing here I have no concept of good and evil. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, my my concept, I guess, with if, I mean, we're, if we're referencing demonic and then angelic, or or you know, you know, the Christian belief. I mean, mine's pretty rooted in, you know, of of good and evil. I guess would be my Christian background. Well, that's what you were taught, right? And I think yeah. that's how most people are. I mean, even. In other cultures and other religious cultures, you know, they see the good and the light, and they see that the evil spirits are of something darker and some other realm that yeah that is meant to punish or torment. And then there's the other where it's trying to protect you or you're trying to represent it in some way. So it's like wrestling. Mm -hmm. You got the good guy and the bad guy. And the bad guy, whenever he loses, he just loses to make the good guy look good. He puts on a show to make the good guy look better than he. Not better than he is, but to make him look good. Oh, yeah. It's like good versus evil. Oh, yeah. Evil just is there to make good look good. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Or else you would just have normal. If there was no sides, you would just have just normal. And just be this plateau. Yeah. He wouldn't be good or bad. He'd just be down the middle. Yeah. Well, is that uh, just neutral? Yeah. That makes sense. So, do you have in Judaic... There's all kinds of Judaic religious works. Um, and so like the Talmud and the Midrash that mentioned demons, but even Kabbalists trace their demonology throughout the Jewish holy books. And little is mentioned about actual possession. So even though that there is, it is mentioned, and even if you look in the Old Testament, there is mention of some possession, but what they tend to reference is actual just tormenting where it's yeah. punishment for something you've done wrong. Um, 
So I guess in the 16th century, in this reference here from Wikipedia, there was a, a guy named Isaac Luria. He was a Jewish mystic, and he wrote about transmigration of souls seeking perfection. And his disciples took his idea even a step further, and they created the Dybbuk. And I think we've talked about the this. The Dybbuk box. Yes. Yeah. We've talked about this before. So in this case, a Dybbuk was a soul inhabiting a victim until it accomplished its task or atoned for its sin. Now, a lot of people in uh, who, who have, are more associated with paranormal and the the Fordian, like we are typically when we hear Dybbuk, we hear think about Dybbuk box. So it's a it's a, just a container to keep that spirit in, so it can't harm anybody. Right, and supposedly yeah. the Warrens had a couple of them, and I think uh, Zach Baggins says that he's sure got he several. Yeah, um, one of the more famous cases that um, that someone had bought a Dybbuk box off of YouTube. And then opened it and had a rash of problems. That's what that show was about. Exactly. Yeah. What his grandma that? had a stroke yep. and, or his mom had a stroke. And... So, yeah. So these are supposed to be vessels, but typically throughout, um, you know, old Hebrew, Dybbuk was just a, it could be anything, it could be yeah. a person. Basically, Dybbuk meant evil spirit. Well, the, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It was basically that's what it was. Yeah. It was a spirit and it, an evil spirit. Demonic yeah. spirit. So, yes, the, the Dybbuk appeared in Jewish folklore and literature, as well as chronicles of Jewish life. So, and we talked about it briefly uh, at the beginning where we said something about Christianity. So we get into the Christianity portion. And I, and it, Christianity tends to make it more, I would say, clear-cut about what possession is and demonic possession. Um, it's not really seen as an agent of God, it's seen as an agent of evil. Yeah. They um, also used to think back then, though, if you had like a skin disease, you were possessed. Mm -hmm. They didn't really have a scientific way of measuring it. No. And the only, the only person that could really tell was Jesus when he was walking the earth. Nobody else knew. Yeah. There was, there would be priests that would, that would tend to, th to make note of the way you were acting. Yeah. They or, would go by symptoms. Right. But Jesus could actually see the demon in you. Yeah. And he could, communicate with it. Yeah. And, um, and they would, of course, the demons would sometimes try to, you know, address Jesus directly. Yeah. Um, you know, in the courts and uh, courtyards and, and, and these like commons and these towns and, and cities. And he was able to actually pull it out of you physically, whereas priests and, you know, they have to basically pray it out of you. They have to like talk it into leaving you. Right. And yeah, he could like physically, I mean, yeah, I mean, because he, he had the power. I, I mean, think there was had, one story where he literally pulled it out of somebody. Right. So. And, you know, he could, I mean, and he would just draw these demons out and he would expel them and mm. and um, all these people. And in some cases, there was multiple spirits inhabiting a single person, as we talked about earlier. Yeah. And, it, and, and that particular incident wasn't the only one where there was many. Um, so apparently the way that Catholic exorcists and this is how they define it. So they actually see that there's a different ordinary satanic demonic activity or influence, which we say is mundane everyday temptations. So what some would say would be demonic oppression. So in your life, when you just feel depressed and you just feel weighted down, nothing seems to be going right. Nothing seems to be happening for you, no matter what effort you put into it. Um, you know, or, 
you know, your wife leaves you or your girlfriend leaves you, your spouse, uh, you know, is treating you poorly. You know, your kids are rebelling against you just and work is going down the tubes. That scene is demonic oppression. It's affecting your everyday life. Yeah. Where possession overtakes your physical form. Um, so, excuse me. So, and they actually said there's six different forms ranging from complete control from Satan or uh, demons or voluntary submission. So you can actually say, I want possessed. Yeah. I want this spirit inhabiting me. So again, we said there was possession in which Satan or demons take full possession of a person's body and it's without permission from the person. And this possession usually comes as a result of a person's actions, actions at least uh, that lead to increased susceptibility. So typically someone's loss in faith, someone's decrease in faith, or maybe someone just giving up on life in general. Um, you know, uh, their guard is down. There's obsession. Um, obsession includes sudden attacks of irrationality, um, obsessive thoughts, suicidal ideation, uh, and this usually comes uh, from influence in your dreams. Yeah. And I think uh, some people, I, mean, I think more, more, a lot of people have that because um, in you, when you're asleep, your guard's down. Your, conscious, your consciousness is, is, you know, as far as you're being able to guard yourself, is, is down. You're asleep. When you're asleep, your brain is actually more active than when you were awake. Right. Because it's, it's, it's like, it's not really autopilot mode because your brain can just do anything it wants. Right. Yeah. And because your, your mind is, especially your subconscious mind, it's more free. But since your consciousness is actually down, so yeah. you're awake. You're, your brain you're, has disconnected itself from your consciousness. Correct. And now your, your guard is down. So now these evil entities can over. Matter of fact, that even in the Bible, it talks about. Um, God using angels to come to people in their sleep and their mm-hmm. dreams because they're they're more readily accessible at that point. Plus, there's no ego. <laughs> right. Your brain, you know, your conscious cannot tell you do this, believe this, or whatever. It's it's basically talking to a kid in your dreams. Right. Like kids accept everything with no doubt. Yeah, because at that point, uh, you know, God can use that as a channel. Yeah. Right. Or... Or Demons something else, or demonically, yeah. yes, and and that and that's what obsession is. Right. <clears throat> so oppression, which we talked about, is which there's no loss of conscious or involuntary action, and in, this is referenced in the book of Job, in which Job was tormented by a series of misfortunes in business, material possessions, family, and health, which is exactly what we referenced. So everything seems to just be going badly for you. Yeah. And you know the world's falling apart around you, and you no matter what you do, everything's starting to crumble. Um. Sounds like every day for me. <laughs> it sounds like my 12 hours at work. It just right. no matter what we do, no matter what happens, it's a struggle bus from start to it's finish. It's not worth it, man. Um, there's also external pain caused by Satan or demons. And this is a lot of times uh, throughout possession as well, where you start having marks on your body, scratches, bruises, cuts, lacerations, contusions, yeah. um, burning sensations. And then there's infestation, which expects houses, objects, things, or animals. Um, and this usually happens with like animals starting to act really odd. Um, people talk, 
have said about houses being infested with flies from nowhere, roaches, ants, cats, um, where basically this entity is making itself known to you, Mm. just not outwardly. It's a form of their torment. A nurse of subjection in which a person voluntarily submits to Satan or demons. So they, you know, go to their dark altar and they're like, you know, Satan, I, I voluntarily submit myself to your possession, to your influence. Right. And then therefore, there is no guard. There's no decrease. It doesn't exist. You voluntarily, you've submitted to that. Um, so to continue on to that, um, according to Roman ritual, true demonic or satanic possession has been characterized since the Middle Ages by the following four typical characteristics. And uh, the first one is manifestation of superhuman strength. Um, This has been documented several times with demonic possession where people all of a sudden, you know, the smallest frame woman can grab a hold of a full-grown man with one arm and toss him across the room. Just pick up furniture and throw it. Yeah. Yeah. This has been documented many times in possession. Um, um, It's actually been... Actually, I think it was even referenced in the movie The Right with Anthony Hopkins, where uh, there was the small Spanish woman who seemingly could pick up any, uh, picked him up, I think, at one point in the film. Um, so there's the, like I said, super strength. There's speaking in tongues. Um, the Exorcist did it. The Right did it. Uh, I think Exorcism of Emily Rose referenced it. Um, so, and a lot of times it's Latin. Um, or gibberish <laughs> or gibberish um, and, and it's funny people ask well, why would someone use why would the demons choose to use Latin what's the oldest language right the, well the Romans used it yeah and it, it was used long before the Romans even used it right and you know and the Roman Catholics adopted it as their their chosen language mm-hmm. uh, due to the Roman influence and a lot of people think that the demons use it as a way of mocking Roman Catholics. Um, or that's just what they know. It's a universal language to them. Yeah. It's like now, you know, English is a universal language, right? right. Could it be, could have been that way back then. Oh, I'm sure it was. I mean, yeah. I mean, back when the Romans were the superpower, they controlled two thirds of the known world at the time. Yeah. You know, so, you know, for, so yeah, Latin was, you know, the language of the day. Um, much like English is now. So, uh, revelation of knowledge, whether distant or hidden, that the victim cannot know. So, um, this is referenced, um, I was actually listening to a podcast here, I would say probably three or four months ago, where they were talking about um, demonology in general, and they talked about possession. And one of the things that they noted would be like, uh, in which case, like, um, say, the priest conducting the exorcism would be in the room and the demon would come through and start saying stuff about the priest, something that there's no way that the possessed person himself would know. <laughs> priest better have no skeletons in his closet then. Cause that well, could be awkward. And that's what typically what a demon would do to try yeah. to help discredit the exorcism or take the, the, the attention off of him or to divert the focus um, of the, the practicing priest at mm-hmm. that moment, trying to 
break concentration, trying to break everybody's faith in the priest or the, or the ritual. Um, and, um, which oddly enough, uh, when you talk to some demonologists and I, and, and they even say that, and I would, and a lot of Protestants say that ritual is by itself isn't actually necessary. Yeah. That, um, that as far as our ability to, to do exorcisms, that the permission was given and our ability was given to us in the great commission. And, um, when Christ looked at his disciples and said that they could drive out demons if they invoke his name. So ritual, according to that, the rituals aren't even necessary, but the Catholics do it as a way is almost. As rituals a, are, are kind of a way to follow the steps. Right. And that's how they see it. And, yeah. and that's exactly how the Catholics see it. It's okay. This, these are our steps to ensuring that this works. Yeah. Um, so again, um, this possessed person might look at the priest and say, you know, I know that you slept with that woman, or I know that you, you know, have got... Like altar boys a little too much. <laughs> right, or I know that you like to imbibe in drunkenness, or, you know, or, yeah. or and starting to out people in the room, and, and as a way is to start to divert the attention to other people instead to it. Right. Um, this, is, this is their form of defense. So the other, the fourth, the other fourth characteristic is blasphemous rage, obscene hand gestures using profanity and an aversion to holy symbols and names, relics, and places. So that's why they turn crosses upside down. They turn crosses upside down. They'll break, uh, portraits and statues of Christ. Um, they will, um, throw Bibles against walls. They will um, spontaneously... There's been a couple of reported cases of Bibles just spontaneously... Uh, Fire. Yeah, going up in, Combust. in flame. Um, there's several of these. Is their way of of their contempt, their, con, their uh, against um, against Christ, against God, because obviously that's why they're, they're demons, right? They rebelled against yeah. God. So uh, the mention... Well, they just don't want to go back to hell. Right, and that's... Probably the, and the biggest one. Why it's would like, you? Like I hate it there, man. Yeah. I don't want to go back. I mean, even for those who serve there, it's got to be torturous. It can't why can't be they just place. be nice then? It's like you're going to send me back to hell. Listen, I'll be nice, okay? I, at that point, I think that the that they're. It's you think they're just naturally mm -hmm. ingrained to be evil, and they can't help it. Well, I mean, I think. Um, I think honestly, the best way to to make an example of it would be like using the Lord of the Rings as mm. a reference. I think Tolkien did it on purpose. Like the elves, like their, their, their personality became so dark and evil and malicious that they turned to orcs. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's almost a bit of referencing to the rebellion of some of these fallen angels is that, they are so darkened and that their characteristics, their hearts are so changed yeah. that they're, that this is the way they are now. So this evil is, is just evil. Right. It's just your identity. You have no, no other personality traits except evil. I, mean, I would think, I mean, look at some of the people that in some of the events that we've covered in past episodes, you know, you know, like, you know, say whoever killed Sean Benny Ramsey. I mean, that, mm -hmm. And the way that she was killed, the person who did that, there's no way that this person's a good person. This person no. acted out of 
period. Someone but who they could probably still go to Walmart and put on the air of a good person. Well, I mean, you know what I mean? Let's think about this. Um, like in some hauntings that, that go on, how do we know that it's not an actual demonic haunting? Because right. it, it's, it's been widely reported that oftentimes a demon will give a false name. Because once you yeah. know its true name, you actually gain power My over it. My name is Bob. <laughs> it's like, right. I mean, he's like, well, I, I was the former you know, owner of this. I was you know, Robert Smith. Yeah. And, of course, he knows everything there is to know about Robert Smith and his family and how he does. He knows everything. So why wouldn't he give that information? Because the longer he's able to deceive you, the longer he's able to remain in this realm instead of going back to hell. Right. So he's going to deceive you. That's what demons do. So he's not going to give you an appropriate name. He's not going to give you appropriate identification. So there's just, um, even in the New Catholic Encyclopedia, it talks about, wow, ecclesiastical authorities are reluctant to admit. Ecclesiastical? Yes, thank you. Ecclesiastes? Look at that. Yes. I'm a Bible kid, man. I mean, I even... It's a hard word. It is a hard Ecclesiastical. word. Ecclesiastical. Yes. And yeah, I, I, I was I've, walking the other night through the dark room and I banged my ecclesiasticals on the table. <laughs> Dude, I have <laughs> always, always struggled with that word. Always. So yes, thank you. But those authorities are reluctant to admit diabolical possession in most cases because many can be explained by physical or mental illness alone. And therefore, medical and psychological examinations are necessary before the performance of major exorcism. The standard that must be met is that of moral certitude for an exorcist to be morally certain or beyond reasonable doubt that he is dealing with a genuine case of demonic possession. Yeah, they don't want to go like, pardon me, but they don't want to like try to exercise somebody with autism right. and completely ruin their life even more, you know, and their family's life and then just be like, oh, well, now we're getting sued because he wasn't even possessed you right. know and and even that's what they want to avoid and even protestant preachers and and pastors uh have have go this route as well they'll go okay you know yes this person's exhibiting system, symptoms of something yeah um but plus they put you under so much stress during an exorcism that you can literally die from it Yes, um, because there is a lot of stress onto that psyche. Yeah, and we emotional all know that, distress. We, and we, right, and and we all know, especially like right now in the pandemic, there's an uptick in um, in depression. There's an uptick in suicides because of people being forced into lockdown. They've yeah. lost their jobs. They were losing their homes because yes, even though there's this uh, stay where <clears throat> in the CARES Act that. You know, these landlords would have to suspend collecting rent. A lot of them are going against it, though. Well, what's happening is there's nothing in the law that says they can't continue to charge for back rent. So once that act sunsets, now you're $5,000 behind in rent. Yeah, it's not good. And it can be due up front. So that was written to the law. That It's not good. So you have people, like, literally going into mental breakdowns. And what we know... and is that health is more than one dimension. So it's not just about your physical health, it's about your mental health, your spiritual health, your emotional health, um, you know, your financial health. So when, and it's kind of like- the Yeah, tr- the body can <clears throat> deal with being physically sick more than it can, like, 
mentally sick. Yeah, because um, I think health, the best way to explain it is like if you're familiar with like building construction, you have like a truss, right? Yeah. It's, it's a three-point piece of construction. If any of those points break, the rest of the construction fails. That The rest of that, that three-point truss will fail. Yeah. So, and health is that way. Except it's a little more multi. But we can deal with physical health issues more than mental because right. mental can break your body down entirely. Exactly. Yeah. So what happens is, is if your mental health breaks, your spiritual health, your emotional health, that those things start to break away, physical health is not far behind. Right. So, and that is what happens with exorcism is that there's so much strain upon the mental and emotional health of that person that the physical health will start to break they can down. Have a heart attack or <clears throat> stroke right. or from the stress. So these priests and pastors and mystics, um, demonologists, whoever's conducting the rites, one of the things that they they have to be careful and they have to monitor um, during the, the the process is the physical well-being yeah. of their subject because it what's the point in the exorcism if the if the subject dies i wouldn't be surprised if modern times they have a nurse in there with like a blood pressure cuff on them and all i that think stuff. they have at times yeah i, I wouldn't doubt it <clears throat> especially like you know you have saint francis hospitals i'm sure that you know there's priests with contacts there and like hey you know we're yeah. having exorcism you know can we have a nurse or there might be someone that's volunteering for that right so but yeah if you're conducting that i would imagine you'd be trained on watching your you know your you know your patient for lack of a better term or the you know the person who's possessed to watch their continual outlook because i mean you're not doing much good if they're dead no so so we we already touched it seems to me as we go down our list we've actually kind of put ourselves ahead of the game because this actually references in the New Testament that people can be possessed by demons and it's uh, that the demons respond and submit to Jesus Christ's authority. So we're going to go to, it's Luke chapter 4, verses 33 to 35. Y'all didn't think you were getting a biblical education today, did you? But you are. So in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then a demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they become out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So that's one of the more popular ones. I mean, that's obviously not the Legion one because that one's a little bit more. But... See, as we talked about before, is that Jesus had the power, the authority of God to just, without the rite, without the ritual, because, you know, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit, he can just take that evil... It's like a manager override. Yeah. When the cashier can't change the price, the manager comes over and just hits a button. <laughs> that's exactly that's Jesus, what man. He's got his little manager swipe card, like, come on out. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. He, And it's funny, too, because... In almost every interaction that we actually get told, not just, hey, Jesus took this evil spirit out or exercises, where we actually hear kind of the, the dialogue, it's at first the spirit kind of mocks him. Yeah. And then when Jesus gives his attention to it, he's like, oh, please wait, stop, you know, don't send me back. He's like, the spirit's like, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, all of a sudden he's like, oh, crap, we're in trouble. 
It's yeah. weird. Shouldn't say that. I think it's almost that they can't help but be arrogant. Even talking to the son of God, they can't help yeah. themselves. Like they just can't. But once they know they're they're in trouble, once they know that there's no way out, it's like they submit. They're like, okay, well, wait, we're willing to make a deal if you don't send us back to hell. Right. If you're willing not to send us back, we we you know we'll do whatever. Like we'll just be destroyed in those body of pigs when you drown them, right? Yeah. Because I think that's what happened. I think they just they were just ultimately destroyed. Into non-existence. All right, and yeah. that would be my guess if I remember my Sunday school teachings Probably. at all. That they were just destroyed. Yeah. Outright. <clears throat> so, and as we talked about before, and my my list is actually about to reference this, is that demons can actually possess animals, as in the exorcism of Garrison Demoniac. And the official Catholic doctor... Wait, her name was what? Well, I, it's... It's... I don't... I don't Last think it was a Demoniac? her. I, I think that's just the reference. That's the way that oh. the Catholic Church... Um, Talked about this. I was protect- say, if you're walking around with the last name Demoniac, you're probably possessed. Now, you were like predisposed. So official Catholic doctrine says that demonic possession uh, can actually occur and be distinguished from mental illness, but stresses that uh, cases of mental illness should not be misdiagnosed. And we talked about this. Yeah, you got to be so, careful. So you know you want <clears throat> you want to be sure, and this is what these priests because a lot of times. There might be a priest who's not trained in exorcism. So if you go to your, say, your local Catholic church and say, hey, I think I have a loved one who's possessed, yeah. the priest will come and check it out. Okay, yeah, well, let's get him... Get a second opinion. Get him looked at by a medical professional. Make sure yeah. that... Because I'm not a medical professional. I'm a spiritual one. I can see where you're coming from, but let's get him medically looked at to make sure. And then a medical professional will come and go, oh, yeah, well... Um, I bet you 99% of the time it's dementia or bipolar disorder, something. I was actually listening to a podcast, and we've talked about it before, Jim Harold's Paranormal Podcast, and he was interviewing a... He he wasn't a Catholic priest. He was an ordained pastor, but he was a Protestant. But he was also a, a demon, demonologist, and he actually specialized in exorcisms. And one of the things that he mentioned, because Jim Harold had asked him, was like, in cases that you're called to for possible diagnosing of demonic possession, do these cases more often than not end up actually being possession, or do they end up being mental illness? And he said that more often than not, it's mental illness. Yeah. Because some of the things that they look for, there are certain keys. Like they're looking for like some things we said, like, you know, the blasphemous rage. They're looking for the injuries that tend to pop up, not necessarily self-harm, but just that cut came from nowhere. This bruise came from nowhere. Scratches. Right. Yeah. You know, there are certain of those archetypical signs that they look for for demonic possession. But in order, you know, because there could be that maybe when no one's in the room, oh, there's a series of scratches on this person yeah. that they put there. So in order to make sure that this person is medically cleared, they have to go through that channel first. And the person that Jim Harrell was interviewing um, said that ends up being a high, a high percentage of people are more often categorized in the mental illness issue than they are in the possessed issue. Uh, and more often than not, if you do have a demonic 
force in your life. Uh, he even said that more often than not, it's oppression, not possession. Because you can think about times in your life where just everything in the world was going wrong. Yeah. And nothing was going right. You know, your girlfriend broke up with you. Uh, your boss is mad at you all the time, no matter what you do. Uh, you can't you know, pay your bills. Your Xbox 360 got the red ring of death, you know, right. whatever. I mean, just everything falling apart all at once, and you're just hitting rock bottom. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, that you don't know what else to do, and you prayed. Right? I think a lot of people have gone through that, and they've hit absolute rock bottom, and they didn't know what else to do, who else to turn to, and they prayed. And then it seemed like, maybe not overnight, but things started to get better. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think when people are, and well, I mean, I guess if you're a practicing Christian, that you're taught that, you know, these evil spirits cannot withstand when a person, an individual, wholeheartedly goes into their um, spiritual into chambers. Their, into, right, right. They, they put on that armor of God. They cannot withstand that. And if you're wholeheartedly and you are without a doubt calling upon his name, that there's no way that that evil entity can withstand that. And not everything is influenced by evil. Sometimes bad things just happen just because yep. they happen. Yeah, you, you get fired from your job just because it just happened. Yeah, especially, I mean, you know, you just have a really bad boss and he's yeah. just going to take it out on you. And he's like, you know what? You're fired. You well, get sick. Sucks. It's just your genetics. It just happened, you and, know? And that is a lot of the, something to look at is, and I would imagine in a, that you could probably always talk to a, uh, you know, a spiritual leader, you know, whether that be a priest, a pastor, a minister, if you are going through something and go talk to them about what's going on, and I'm sure if they're um, a spiritual leader um, that's worth their weight at all, worth their salt, they'll sit and say, well, this may not be oppression. This might just be a bit of bad luck. Or that's, I mean, I, I take comfort in knowing that stuff just happens. As right. uncomfortable as a thought of it, it can be, knowing that there's a natural progression, like nature, things just happen cause and effect, whatever it may be, there's a comfort knowing that because no one can control something more than anybody else. Right. Everyone's on the same playing field. Correct. So. And, and, and I think, um, right. And I, and, and I, yeah, I mean, cause I mean, what, wouldn't that be awful if it was just in this other dimension, there's just this battle of your life between good and evil, and you have yeah. no way of really navigating that. Just thinking that evil forces are constantly battling for you is not a good thought to have. You, it's not healthy to be thinking about that all no. the time. And I think, I mean, and we all know that people have free will, so if you have this cantankerous boss that decides he's going to fire you one day, yeah, well, he's just being a douche. But, um, And we all know bad bosses exist. I think we've all worked for one at one point or another, but... yeah. I mean, bad things tend to happen, and it's not necessarily oppression. I'm the worst boss I ever had. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, and I, I mean, I not, and that's what I'm saying. Not everything is oppression. Not everything is demonic no. oppression. And not everything is, you know, you have this kooky guy that, you know, on the street corner doing, you know, naked chasing you with the samurai sword. He's probably not possessed. He's he's on bath souls. Yeah, and or he's just. 100% completely out of his mind. Right. And I think that's something worth noting is you, you can't, and there are people, and there are people out there, man, he's possessed. 
and they mean it. Like they like he's gotta be possessed. No, he's he's on a lot of PCP. People just go crazy. Yeah. It's just part it, it happens. Exactly. So we talked about the Catholics. <clears throat> so the Protestants, we kind of talked about them too. Protestants also believe in demonic influence. Um King James, so where we get the King James Bible, in 1597, he said there were four uh, methods of demonic influence upon an individual. And he actually wrote them out in his book called The uh, Demonology, and he doesn't spell it like we do. It's D-A-E-M-O-N-O-L-O-G-I-E. Mailer Damon for the email. I always think of that. So it's that old English. So he says it's spectra. So that's being the haunting and troubling of certain houses or solitary places. Obsession, again, same thing, except he defines it as the following and outwardly torment of an individual at diverse hours to either weaken or cast diseases upon the body, as in the book of Job. So he references it directly. Yeah. Um, possession, we don't need to, we need to define that again. And then he says, fairy, F-A-E-R-I-E. <laughs> so that's being the influence those who voluntarily submit to consort prophecy or servitude so just like the catholics defining it as what they how they say it again subjection so catholics say subjection and king james said fairy so he actually said that symptoms derived from demonic possession could be discernible from natural diseases so he aligned a lot of his philosophy around it the same as the Catholics did, that you can actually, there are keys to hone in on if it's demonic yeah. or if it's just this person is mad. So he rejected symptoms and signs prescribed by the Catholic Church as vain. So the rage begotten from holy water, fear of the cross, and found that exorcism rites to be troublesome and ineffective to recite. So this is, and again, I think that he's actually citing his sources from what he reads in the Bible. Because Jesus didn't do those. No. The disciples didn't use those. So how did he do it? So he tended to say that the rights of the Catholic Church to remedy the torment of demonic spirits were rejected as counterfeit since few possessed could be cured by them. So... Again, he goes back to biblical teachings and was like, well, we'll just use Jesus Christ. We'll just use the Holy Father's name and do it in his name and his power. So, and yeah, and that's exactly what it says here. That he went, actually went further, and, and I'll say it so as to be more clear, is that by virtue of fasting and prayer and in calling the name of God, suppose many imperfections be in the person that is the instrument as Christ himself teaches us in Matthew 7 of the power that false prophets all have cast out devils. So he put it very succinctly there. <clears throat> so there is, I mean, I'm trying to make sure here that we are defining demonic possession as much as we can without just going into every little tidbit that these books and references and everything else has. Right. Because there is a lot of information on demonic possession going back millennia. So we might have to do a part two. That's possible. So, and we could easily do that. Demonic possession is such a vast thing. And 
and we can actually go into more in part two as well. So uh, what we'll do is we'll say this. <clears throat> so in evangelical Christianity, exorcisms of demons are often carried out by individuals or groups as deliverance ministers. And these are groups um, of people, and they basically do this calling out much like as Jesus did or his disciples did without really doing the rites, rituals, mm. you know, holy water, crosses. Casual, more casual. Right. It's basically just calling out the demon, much like, you know, you would suspect, you know, just calling out the demon and demanding that in the name of God, the Father and the Holy Ghost. Like calling person. out, like, hey, demon. Yeah. Your mama's so fat. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hey, I have an eating disorder. <laughs> But um, <laughs> so, uh, but symptoms of possessions that they do say, and and you can agree or disagree or whatever. But some of these have been said to be chronic fatigue syndrome, homosexuality, addiction to porn, and alcoholism. Um, and it's odd to note this too is that the New Testament description of people who had evil spirits include a knowledge of future events in Acts sixteen sixteen, great strength. Act 19, uh, chap uh, yeah, chapter 19, verses 13, 16, and among others in which that evil spirits can speak of Christ. So they actually call out Christ's name in Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. So, um, and what we'll do is we'll talk about Islam really quickly, and then what we'll do is we'll save the rest for part two. Yeah, we'll do a part two. And because there is We've so We've been going much, for an hour already, yeah. so... And I didn't realize that it's a lot of stuff. It is a lot of stuff, and I and part two will be more more interesting because then we'll reference that psychology uh, psychologist who had his bout with demon possession. Yeah. So in Islam, we actually um, they actually see demon demons a different way, um, and they don't even call them demons really. So in Islam, there's several. Um, spirits the one that's most popular is called the jinn uh in western culture so we like would call genie. them genie right yeah uh which we could do in a whole episode on the jinn uh astonishing legends did a whole episode on the jinn i think jim harold's done an, uh i think last podcast and left might even did one i think uh it's a very popular subject and um but we're not going to really go into a whole lot but just saying that the jinn is the most popular that we know of. Um, oh, so, but no, the jinn are not blue creatures that sound like Robin no. Williams and do tricks and do things for you and give you wishes. Uh, sometimes the jinn does good things for you. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're malicious. Sometimes they're more trickster. It's honestly based on who they are as an individual spirit. Yeah. Um, others are the shayatin, the arafat, and the ra. And they are found, again, in Islamic culture. And they are responsible for demonic possession as according to Islamic um, literature and lore. Um, so they actually have a leader called Iblis, and he tempts humans into sin by following their lower, their lower desires. So much like how the devil will try to tempt you into sinning, Iblis will do it for you if you are a practicing Muslim. So, 
even though the jinn are not directly ever mentioned in the Quran uh, as the notion of possessing humans, uh, they this part of their belief is widely accepted by Islamic leaders and scholars. And there are a lot of reasons why jinn might possess you, um, such as falling in love with them, taking revenge for hurting them or their relatives or other undefined reasons. And they're not necessarily evil, but they are distinguished differently from, say, an evil de devil or an evil demon. Uh, but the shayatin are 100% evil. So we have the jinn that can be individual based on how they act or how they feel at that moment mm -hmm. towards you. The shayatin are 100% inherently evil and they can possess you and they do possess you. And um, Hadiths suggest that uh, demons and devils whisper from within the human body, within or next to the heart, and they call it devilish whisperings. Or um, I'm going to try my best to pronounce this uh, Arabic word, and um, I don't know if we have any Arabic listeners, but if we do, I'm really sorry if I butcher this, but it's called waswas, and they are thought of as kind of possession. So you can be possessed by the jinn, but it may not be necessarily a malicious possession. Um, but if you are possessed by the shayatin, then it is 100% an evil possession. And they will influence everything that you do. I knew what a jinn was, but I've never heard of the other ones before today. Yeah, the, I think the jinn are more popular especially in Western culture again, because Aladdin. <laughs> right. Right. And you know, where I dream of genie. Yeah. Um, you know, there's that connotation that they live in a bottle or their lamp. And yeah. It's just, just, but you know, they grant wishes and stuff, but they, it's not how the gin operate. Now the gin, like other spirits can be contained to a vessel. Um, but usually just because they're contained to a vessel, they're not, they're basically the same as a Dybbuk. Right. But the problem is, is that even though they might be in that container, in that vessel, the difference between that Jewish belief and the Islamic belief is that if this jinn is contained to a vessel, their influence can still be felt within you. Yeah. They're, they're in, they can still influence you. Whereas the Jewish belief is if they're in the Dybbuk and they're contained there, they're contained there. Yeah. Their power is limited to that vessel only. Imprisoned, yep. So, with that, I think we cover kind of the basics of demon possession. Uh, we will do a part two where we'll talk about that article. We'll reference it quite heavily, talking about this person who is a learned, educated, scientific mind. Yeah. And their, their, their experiences with the demonic. And we'll kind of break it down and do our own analysis of it. This is a very big topic, so this is it's actually probably take two parts. This definitely. is actually one of the better bigger topics we've covered. Like yeah. like we've said we've covered we would cover this and I honestly came in here thinking I could knock it out. I could try to constrain it, and I just can't. I looked up and it's an hour. It's like, yeah, we're going to have to yeah, we're going to have to save it. There's so. no way because I even tried. I was like just going through my resource material going, "Okay, how do I condense this?" and I yeah. can't. There's just no way. So with that said, we will close this out. Um, and just by telling you that we will record next Friday for sure doing part two.
And, uh, and if you guys were hoping I would put a bottle cap on this with one episode, I, there's just no way. Yeah, you're going to have to wait. It'll keep you listening, though. But with that said, uh, quick wrap up. Really appreciate you guys listening to this. And I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed our podcast episodes. Um, our whole library is available to you for free uh, on Spotify, Anchor, Google, Apple. Apple. Um, there's a few smaller ones that yeah. I don't remember the names Pocket of. Podcasts. Yeah, there's all kinds. With that said, continue to share us with everybody that you know that enjoyed this or if you think they'll enjoy this. Um, if you want to support us or at least get money where, and it's not a lot, but we'd actually just pump it back into the podcast, buying stuff or, you know, for the studio. But, um, if you want to support us, the best way to do that, be go to Teespring, uh, buy some of that cool merch. And uh, if you do buy any of that merch, take photos and share it to our Facebook. Yeah, where we definitely can do that. Because that would be really, really cool. Um, and like I said, I'm going to be ordering my own, uh, my own hoodie and probably my own T-shirt here in the next week or two as a little Christmas gift to myself. Um, there you go. But, uh, but yeah, you guys uh, stay safe out there and, uh, you know, have fun this holiday season, and we will talk to you soon. Don't mess up and get yourself possessed. <laughs> right.